The American dream inspires many, but it's not without its flaws. The reality is people experience workforce discrimination in many forms. It's time to open our eyes and have challenging yet enlightening conversations. It's not always easy, but we need to start in order to make a difference. That conversation begins here. Welcome to the Untapped Podcast. Everyone, welcome back to the Untapped Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and I have Desiree, a consultant and coach in corporate America. How you doing, Desiree? I'm good, Jeremy. How are you? Hey, I am good. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and, and hopefully we can get these topics rolling tonight. All yeah. right. So um, I want to go ahead and get started. Can you give me a short background of your career, your education and things you've done in the workforce? Absolutely. Um, so I currently am a coaching consultant uh, for Franklin Covey in their education division, where I do a lot of coaching leadership coaching, implementation coaching uh, for the education division, which is K through 12 leaders um, in schools and school districts. I also have my own private coaching and speaking practice where I do a lot of uh, coaching, mostly transformation coaching, transition coaching, leadership, all of those things end up kind of playing together. <laughs> and um, I really help them get to the next level of their business or their career and really master habits that help them do better in the work that they do. Um, but most of my experience has been with nonprofit. I am the board chair of a nonprofit dance company that I co-founded about 18 years ago. And so that has been a big part of my life and my growth, as well as some of the nonprofit work that I did outside of my dance company uh, prior to stepping into the corporate space with uh, Franklin Covey, as well as before I started doing a lot of coaching and um, advising, consulting with other individuals, either in the corporate space or in the nonprofit executive director type of space. Um, my education is in business, uh, obviously. Uh, well, not obviously, but obviously. Uh, it's in business. I, I have my master's in business and my undergrad in business from the illustrious Hampton University. <laughs> and okay. <laughs> I also have a second BA in dance, as well as a plethora of certifications uh, as it relates to uh, the coaching world. So I am an ICF credential coach, um, as well as I've been certified in other different uh, trainings that have to do with Franklin Covey, as well as different things that I've done on my own through my personal uh, business. So that's a little bit about uh, me. You know, my first job was a facilitator. So facilitating and training have kind of been my my thing over the years. Uh, and so everything that I've done kind of have been a part of that string of facilitating, speaking, um, and now mostly coaching. Okay. Uh, now, the, the one thing that stood out there is uh, you said Hampton University, you know, mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's so funny. I, I just was coaching some students from Howard University and then, oh, of course, I, I see. <laughs> then, of course, everyone knows, um, the audience knows um, it's Aggie Pride over here. So uh, look, I already know saying. what you want. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Understood. You know, you got to represent. You got to represent wherever you go. It's, it's all love. It's Black History Month, so I'm here for it all. That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So we're going to jump straight into your questions. Defining your success as a professional, was that that? what does that look like for you? Yeah, so this is an interesting question because I feel like over the years, success has looked differently <laughs> for myself. Um, and I think some of that 
has been influenced by, you know, the past generation. I was a first generation college student. And so I think there was some part of me that felt like I had to do things in a way that would make my family feel proud and feel like I did something great. Um, But what I will say is that they always encouraged me to do whatever I felt drawn to do. And so although I went to school for business, I already knew that I did not initially want to do anything in corporate. I really had a draw to entrepreneurship as well as a draw to things in the nonprofit world, specifically with young adults. And so that was kind of like my aim for success that I want to own businesses. I want to start something and I really want to impact the world with a mission. And so that was really my overall definition of success, really coming out of college and starting to work. And then as time progressed, you know, you get different iterations of what that success looks like. So it started off by starting, you know, a nonprofit dance company. And then over time, it's like, well, I want my legacy to be around how people are developed that I work with. And so just some of those people that I worked with in our dance company that have come back to also work in the dance company has kind of been that legacy that I always envision as a definition of success for myself to really pour into others and form leaders that eventually continue to give back as you did once. And now I feel like success really looks like me being in a space where I'm always, no matter if it's my full-time job, if it's my entrepreneurship role, that I am helping people fulfill their fullest potential. And so that's what I always look for. Like even the job that I have now as a coach and consultant with Franklin Covey, it was always looking for an opportunity of where I could really pour into people and be able to help people become their best selves. Um, With my first job being a facilitator, I was uh, a mentor. My official title was teen mentor. And so I always had this desire to continue to help people grow and experience self-discovery. Like I was 17 years old teaching people about self-esteem and decision-making things. I was still trying to figure out with my life. Uh, And so I think that it kind of really started there in that definition of success continued to grow and illuminate as I became someone seeing different things and experiencing different things that, you know, just helped me see all the different ways I can experience that kind of success. You live in your best life. I mean, um, that, that's hashtag goals. Like that, that's-, that, that's it. That's <laughs> it. You live in your best life. But, but what I really like is that you're pouring into other people and you're sowing a seed into other people. And I think that is from a professional standpoint, is what's often missed. We like to, it's so funny. Some people like to be real selfish and they're like, Mm -hmm. all right, well, I'm going to get here. And once I get here, man, you know, forget everyone else. But you need to start sowing seeds into people because to me, that's where networking starts. Mm -hmm. Um, As you begin to network and, and begin to have those conversations and build those relationships with others, it begins to spread. And then those people that you're mentoring a lot of that, what you have done, they can start doing. That to Mm -hmm. me is what uh, growth looks like. I think in the times that we kind of live in, you start to see as people progress to certain levels, they decide, you know what, I'm done helping. I done Mm -hmm. done everything that I needed to do to get where I'm at. Now you need to get where you got to go. And it's a pretty sad commodity to say, but kudos to you for doing that. I I wish there were more people like you. Honestly. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, you know what? I feel like I'm surrounded by so many that are because, you know, we tend to be around a lot of people doing the same things. And I think 
in, especially in this service-based industry, you tend to be around a lot of people that are impasse, the people that feel their feelings, that want to really give to the world and really have these big missions. And so it's actually been an honor and a privilege to really be around a lot of other colleagues, people that I've been able to coach both um, through my full-time job, but also, you know, in my personal business, being able to just see the greatness that people have and how they're impacting the lives of other people too. Um, it really is exciting. Yeah. Like I said, you, there aren't many like you. And, <laughs> um, if y'all are listening, I, I want y'all to really pay attention uh, to what's <laughs> happening here. Sow a seed into other people and mm -hmm. you'll be surprised as those seeds end up blossoming what they're going to end up doing to help someone else mm -hmm. that that's just something that needs to be shared across the board mm -hmm. um, not only just in as those who are working as entrepreneurs but those who are working in our corporate america spaces so what do companies need to do better to place you into positions to succeed you know I, this is a great question because i just think that people don't ask <laughs> they don't they don't you know like that's like a number one is people don't ask so there was a season where I was the executive director of my dance company and when I took over in that position the first thing I did was start talking to the other people that were on our team like where do you see yourself how do you feel like you would be most successful here how can we serve you in a way that would be beneficial for the time that you're here because I don't want to act like this is your last stop and I think a lot of that comes from working in nonprofit in general. And most of my previous experience has been in smaller organizations where the executive director is not going anywhere. They've been there for like 20 years or 10 years or middle management is middle management. They're not going anywhere. So mm -hmm. even though in frontline positions and some of the nonprofits I worked with, you see transition. When it comes to moving up, you don't see a lot of transition. People are just there and especially in these smaller organizations. And so I, I learned very easily to know that if somebody is going to be in a more frontline position or um, even a middle management one that they're probably looking to do something else that our organization doesn't have the capacity to hold them in. We don't have space for it. We haven't, you know, expanded uh, what we do to make room for growth. And so I already had positioned myself to know that people are going to leave, but how can I help them leave better? How can I help them have the skill set that they need to go where they desire to go? And I think people appreciate that open conversation. So no one ever felt like if they were going a different direction that, you know, you were going to come down on them or, you know, people get afraid of being let go. And so although I was speaking from that from a nonprofit or a smaller nonprofit perspective, I wonder bigger organizations and really not being attached to people being retained by them. I think the scarcity mindset of we got to keep you here, we got to keep you here, got to keep you here almost puts this um, unspoken pressure on people to feel like they can't talk about what they actually want to do. <laughs> and then they leave and then, you know, people, you know, sad about it <laughs> because they left. It's like, well, I mean, you never made room for the conversation because you were so concerned for them to stay at X corporation and help them move down the ladder. Now I get it. I get retention. It makes sense. It helps with sustainability and all of that. But I wonder what it would look like if leaders detached themselves from the results of people's uh, trajectory of what they wanted to do. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I agree with what you just said there. Um, something that you said is that people don't ask. 
Um, mm -hmm. They would rather just sit back, stand idle and wait for something to happen. Um, mm -hmm. You have to be progressive. You have to move forward. You have to you have to show that you want to be a part of something or that you want something out of your careers. It, it's so funny that you're saying this is is because I actually coach uh, representatives right now and you should hear them and they're telling their stories about, hey, I wasn't helped. I wasn't this. Mm -hmm. I wasn't that. And they're asking those questions. And, and I haven't been in my role more than, I think, 10 months uh, okay. since I transitioned out of a, another role that I was in. But in that time frame, you can tell where people are gravitating towards me like, hey, I know you got a wealth of knowledge. Let me go ahead and find out what you know, and maybe you can help me right. get to the next level. Right. And, and I really appreciate that, you know, because they're asking the questions. Mm -hmm. But those professionals that would just rather wait and stand idle. And to me, they are the doves as far as the bird languages, because you're so quiet. You, mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not aggressive. You know, you can be that dove owl, but I don't want to be on that left side of the table. I need to be on that right side of the table. Right. I'm a very strong eagle. I uh, mm -hmm. can't ever see myself being a peacock because I'm just not <laughs> one to brag on myself. It's just not me. Um, so just saying that alone, saying that people need to ask the question, mm -hmm. be a part and, and realize that you are the one who makes your career what it yes. is. Um, no one else does that. And if you allow someone to dictate to you what your career is going to be, then at the end of the day, when you go and lay your head on a pillow at night, and when you wake up in the morning and get ready to brush your pearly whites, point the <laughs> finger at yourself in the mirror and say, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. You cannot blame anyone else for that. It's you. Mm -hmm. So you hit it on the mark right there. With that next question coming up, what do professionals need to do to eliminate excuses? Now, everybody knows what excuses are, the tools of the incompetent that yeah. build bridges to nowhere. So what do they need to do to eliminate excuses from being a part of their careers? So this is going to sound super biased. <laughs> okay, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Let me know it's what you got to It's going to sound say. super biased, but I would say get a coach. And this is not only because I'm a, a coach, not only because I'm a coach, but when I made a leap in my career, it's because I got a coach. Okay. Um, and I was just in this space of being, you know, like many of us, high achievers, doing a lot of great things, trying to find ways to make our mark in the world and all of that. And even though I had started with two friends, this really great nonprofit organization, and I was now leading at the time, I was still feeling like there was something more that I wanted to do and achieve, but I felt almost guilty for wanting to leave the nonprofit world um, and leave my hometown and leave the girls and the women I've been working with, just all of the things. And so I had all made up all these excuses and, you know, I was almost feeling shame. Like I should be happy. Like, this is what I said I wanted to do, you know, <laughs> it was like, but I still want to do more things, you know? Uh, and so, you know, getting a coach really helped me to even see the limiting beliefs I had to see the way that I was creating my world around excuses. Um, so I think, you know, getting an outside perspective is really helpful. And I think eliminating those excuses will be clear because you know what, when we have a narrative in our mind about how life is going, it's very hard to see outside of that narrative. 
the only way that we actually see something different is by being open to someone mirroring what we're saying to them. And so I feel like that happens in therapy. Obviously, you know, some people have been, you know, triggered at work or have had traumatizing experiences, which really keeps them from doing certain things in their career. I can definitely, you know, speak to some of those experiences, me, myself. Uh, But there are other times where it's really just not being able to have a vision of what's possible because of maybe your past experiences or because you're subconsciously holding yourself back for whatever reason. So I do think giving yourself time and space and realizing at some point, like I did myself, like, okay, there's got to be something to this. Like, I need to talk to somebody because maybe they can help me when, especially because, you know, being someone that has helped so many other people figure out what they desire to do, help other people transition in their life. And then it's just like, but I'm stuck in a transition. It's like, okay, Uh (laughs) I need to talk to somebody because maybe I'm not seeing something that is very apparent to someone else that gives me the space to unload. Because I can imagine, especially the people that are listening today, that if you are someone that is high achieving, you're moving up the ladder or someone um, that desires to do that or has always done great things, sometimes we just get stuck in what's comfortable and yeah. we we almost are ashamed to do something better because we almost feel like, especially as African-Americans, I feel like we almost want to feel grateful for where we are so much so that, you know, we don't want to do more because it's like doing more is almost acting like we um, aren't grateful for what we have. You know, is that kind of complex sometimes? So I think it's important to really uh, talk that through because we're really good at solving other people's problems and being great at where we are. Uh, But, you know, sometimes we're just not in our zone of genius anymore. Our zone of genius has now turned into our zone of excellence because now we're super comfortable and we want to go another level. And we just need to find someone to help us realize that we're just not giving ourselves permission. A long way of saying that in my biased way, (laughs) because that was my experience and that's what I do. Um, is that having a coach or if necessary, a therapist that can really help you, you know, hone in on your past, but a coach can definitely, or a combination of the two can really help you, um, you know, catapult your future by having an outside perspective. Coaches and mentors are so important Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And uh, another part that you stated was basically the professional getting comfortable. I have said to myself over and over and over again, I never want to get too comfortable. I always want to look at things from the perspective of, all right, I got to do something different. And then also what pushes and motivates me is, is that I can always look around and say, okay, there are things that I see that should be better. And in order for those things to get better, I got to start looking at it from the angle of, all right, I can make that better. I can make Mm -hmm. this better. I can make that better. But what usually happens is people get burned out. And as they get burned out, they're probably saying to themselves, well, I'm, I'm giving up. I, I, I think I've done all that I can do. Why? Right. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep grinding. Keep looking for other ways that you can make something better. And mm-hmm. when you feel that your time is up with a company, uh, that doesn't mean your career is over. You can start doing something for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I always tell everyone that I interact with, you have a unique skill set. You're mm-hmm. just not sowing that seed into that unique skill set to make it better to where you can do something on your own instead of depending on someone else. Yeah, so yeah. what you said there, yeah, you said a mouthful. There, yeah. I got scared <laughs> you know what, Jeremy? And you made me think of something too, because I think another thing, just like you said, like we get so busy that we don't 
kind of carve out time. Like, so if you're listening now, like if you're like, look, I don't have time to find somebody to talk to. I mean, sometimes we just need to say, I'm taking a vacation day. Mm -hmm. I just need to think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I also think that there's something to be said about reflecting on what you're grateful for so that you're leave, if you're going to leave an organization or move up or leave a department or what have you, or start your own business, whatever it is that you desire to do. I think it's something to be said to leave before you're bitter. Yes. Yes. You know, you don't want to bring that kind of energy into your next thing. So it's like, get real grateful for where you are and then start thinking about the future gratitude of what you're going to have in between. And then your mind is really going to subconsciously start figuring out how to close the gap. You're right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything else to add to that because what you just said is in, in so many words, y'all don't stop, stop pushing for your goals. Keep mm-hmm. pushing for them. No matter mm-hmm. what someone says, if there's some discouragement, uh, any type of discouragement at work, and then you're bringing it home, which is very toxic mm-hmm. at times. Don't bring that home. Just yeah. take that energy and put it into something else yeah. and then see how that can blossom for you. Spot on, Desiree, spot on. <laughs> no, this is good, Jeremy. This is good conversation. That's it. So we're going to get on to the next question. We're going to really start getting into a little bit of the DEI. So what characteristics, traits, contributions, and behaviors are most valued at your job? And if you have any of those, why don't you feel like you haven't been promoted? Yeah. So I think like an open, open mindset is really big um, at my current full-time job, like being open to other ways of thinking, a really collaboration with other people has been, you know, another, uh, another characteristic. I think, uh, people willing to help, but also making sure that, um, you know, we have all the language in our businesses, right? Um, Making sure it's a win-win for everyone. Um, And really reflection, like we do a lot of self-awareness. I mean, it's a leadership organization, (laughs) so it's a lot of self-awareness and really exemplifying, you know, that personal effectiveness that, um, you know, we want to exemplify as leaders. Um, and, you know, we do so many different kinds of trainings. Uh, we, we spend time in different areas that um, I think are also value, like trust in our relationships and showing trust behaviors. So it's hard to figure out <laughs> what's the most thing, but I think in general, if I was to like kind of sum it up even more, it would be that, that openness to other people's thoughts, opinions, ways of thinking so that we can, what we call synergize and uh, really being someone that can help think win-win um, around different situations that happen at work, um, as well as like having a trusting um, environment. So people that are able to be, you know, self-reflective and willing to, to grow. Um, we should be able to say things to people at work and not feel like we're walking on eggshells and so um, I've really um, enjoyed, I've really enjoyed that with being a part of the organization. Ooh, that word in which you just said, that, that ending part. We should yeah. not feel like we're at work and feel like we're walking on eggshells. If there's some yeah. listeners out there, I really want them to understand that. I've dealt with several situations in which mm-hmm. certain leaders, um, you can actually say something to them and they end up getting upset and and, and then want to pull you into a meeting and say, hey, you can never do that again. Mm-hmm. But you just gave them feedback. Yes. And no matter how many years they have with the company, with ethnicity, how old they are, it doesn't matter. 
you are not susceptible to criticism. Everyone mm -hmm. can be criticized, but also understand that that criticism is very positive that they're trying to give you because they're trying to make you better at the end of the mm -hmm. day. And when someone comes to you and says, well, I, I just don't appreciate the comment. Well, that tells me you are a very dominant person. And if you've never been criticized in your career to where no one can tell you anything, uh, that's very shallow. Right. Uh, honestly. Right. So right. this is about growth. And mm -hmm. me as a professional, I am one. I've been told that, it, that as a Black man, I'm aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I had to correct someone recently because they stated that I was aggressive. And I said, well, do you realize that could be looked at as almost a disrespectful comment? Tell 100%. Man that mm -hmm. he's aggressive, a Black mm -hmm. man especially. Black men are viewed as angry and aggressive in the in the workspace. So therefore, our upward trajectory, and this includes our Black women, is not that great, especially in corporate America. Mm -hmm. And people forget that we're only trying to give feedback, we're trying to help, but our help is unwarranted. But when we look at the flip side of that, if our white counterparts did the same thing, it'd be praised. Mm -hmm. That's what the, the issue is, especially in that corporate America space. But yeah. what you just said that there, as far as we shouldn't feel like we're walking on eggshells, Desiree, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't feel like I'm walking on eggshells yes. where I work. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very free, free flowing. I say mm -hmm. what's on my mind. Mm -hmm. You can either agree with it or disagree with it, right. but it's not going to change a thing. Otherwise, we'll just be talking about some ethics violations because basically my opinions and my ideas are being challenged and mm -hmm. therefore you don't like them so we can take it next level if you want but right. understand that we we are not aggressive mm -hmm. we are not angry we want to help and we yeah. want to help build the leadership or help build the company and that's mm -hmm. often forgotten it's, and it's pretty sad yeah yeah absolutely and you know I think too you know, just even talking more about the eggshells, I feel like that was something I took some more personal responsibility in because it's kind of like making that decision. If I can't be my true self here, then I need to roll, <laughs> you know? And I think that there was also a piece because, you know, we do so much personal development. Um, I was doing my own work around you know, really feeling my feelings around things so I can express how I feel and not express things out of frustration or of anger, which are secondary emotions. Okay. I want to express exactly how I feel. So just giving myself time to not be so quick to react when something throws me off. Right. Um, and that that definitely has helped. And it's, it's been growing. It doesn't mean that anybody else that showed emotion or what have you is wrong because I think it's okay to show that because like you said some of our white counterparts could do something like that and they may not be viewed in the same way and sometimes we may feel like they view us in that way but we don't truly know until we get a response that verifies that at times mm -hmm. and so I think that there's something to be said about actually taking some time to do our own inner work so mm -hmm. that we can get more of the results that we want that's right <laughs> um, and in addition to that, um, being in places where you truly feel welcomed and being able to um, be in a culture that, like you said, respects feedback. I mean, I've had, you know, conversations with my colleagues. I've had conversations with clients 
around whether I felt like I was unsafe or felt like I was not comfortable. And I, I appreciate that I was able to step in that place without judgment. I didn't get like demoted or looked at or said, you know, told that I was lying or, you know, whatever. Um, I think it's really important. And, you know, it kind of goes back, if, if we in the DEI conversation, it kind of goes back to, you know, some of kind of just the stereotypical things I kind of uh, encounter African-Americans in the sense, it's almost like you have to have a clean slate mm-hmm. in order for people not to look at you as if anybody else is perfect. <laughs> like, Amen. no one is perfect, but I, I do have an air of, knowing that my reputation precedes itself and there are very few if any times anyone can say that I did something that was out of integrity and so I almost feel like it's kind of like you talked about sowing seeds it's like I got room I got room for people to back me up because I'm not showing myself to be someone that has not been trusted but I do I will say at the same time there are times where people get um hit you know, hit with something because of maybe something that they've done in the past. And that just gets back to growing trust. But I I will say that, you know, there are times when it feels like if you put two people that look differently with the same kind of track, there is, and especially, yeah, with the same kind of track, there is this feeling like, am I going to be treated differently because of the way I show it with black skin? (laughs) Right. Yeah, it is this, it is this feeling of it. And it's, Sometimes you've seen it happen <laughs> and yes. it's like, man, are we creating our world by seeing it happen? <laughs> Cause I was like, this cannot be, you know, coincidence sometimes. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's an interesting thing. Like I'm always thinking about how I'm presenting myself. So it's almost, and I don't even want to say assimilation cause I'm very much myself. Mm-hmm. I'm more uh, making sure that the results that I have or how I am, you know, talked about is in a way that, um, always is brought with much joy <laughs> and much what have you and much respect um, so that when I do say something and when I say things at work Jeremy you know there's you know code switching and such I, I don't really code switch most times <laughs> I am very much myself Authentic. Very, a Authentic. lot of times mm-hmm. I am very much myself now look like I don't think this was right <laughs> like you know like I'll just say what it is. Um, And I think there is something that people appreciate about that. But again, I do feel like our company has done a great job of making sure those spaces happen. Now, I will say I'm in a lot of different, um, you know, work groups where that is also welcomed. I don't know what happens to other people's work groups. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what happens there. I do feel like overall as an organization, they've done a great job of doing that. Uh, But I know that, you know, just like in other organizations, you know, like sometimes people don't have that same same culture built in some of their, you know, smaller work groups that they're with. Uh, But I do know, like, you know, recently they did some rebranding. And with that, I know a lot of it um, was to really focus on building trust and stuff. So I think a a lot of organizations are trying to be in a direction of growing, because even if I'm honest, like our organization still has some leaps and bounds to do in that area, (laughs) 100%. Like they definitely, um, are not, uh, have not met a plateau right. <laughs> of like greatness around that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but I will acknowledge the effort that is, is beginning to happen. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate at least the effort being made versus it's kind of like an alarm has been sounded and someone's not doing anything like that would make me feel a certain way. But 
I think like slowly but surely they're beginning to actually say things out loud. <laughs> right. And I think that that is, it's helpful. It makes you feel seen. It does. It, it helps you. It, it gets you to the point where you're like, okay, it, it took a long time, but I'm getting noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes for me, I pivot a lot. Yes, I'm in my current role, but I'm doing other things within the company that others may not know about that I'm mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm getting my name in other circles. And that is something that I encourage people to do is that when you're not getting fulfillment in your current role, you'll be surprised how you can pivot in the same company to do other things. Right. And people can say, man, he did a great job with this. He did a great mm-hmm. job with that. Mm-hmm. And your your immediate boss would probably be like, they may not have that same impression of you. But you start lining up all these different things that you're doing, that boss is eventually going to get neutralized and get pinned into a corner. And then he's not going to be able to get out, he or she. Right. And they're going to have to start to say, okay, this person is a great employee based on all of this. Look at all these other people talking for him. Mm-hmm. So that that's where, to me, where your true progression can become. Don't just look at your immediate job. Look at other ways in which you can help others. Um, in the company that you work for so with the next question what do you feel it will take for companies to retain diverse employees culture is often discussed but how can that culture be channeled when there is no clear direction from the top yeah so I will say that I think people have become vocal it's almost like it gave us an opportunity to start saying stuff and feeling like it was okay to say stuff um, to our to our colleagues to our team members And so I feel like a way that, um, you know, what it'll take is for people to actually speak up because if organizations um, that have been around forever, Jeremy, (laughs) like, and they're used to doing what they've been doing, they don't even know that something's wrong or because they've been doing it so long, almost are afraid to make a shift to disappoint maybe some of their stakeholders. Mm -hmm. That's just real talk. I think that until someone says something, it's almost like a closed mouth doesn't get fed. There's no reason for people to have to change their trajectory. Um, And I think just, you know, having, you know, people that, you know, we talk about allies all the time, right? Um, But people that are also allies that they may be allies because of the color of their skin, or they may be allies because of their title. or their position and so I think that it takes allies in every part to really be connected or feel connected to you know what the culture is lacking and I think even just having a sit-down situation and listening you know Mm -hmm. is so 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 helpful Um, so I think there's something to be said for um, you know just speaking up and saying something and you know not letting it go until you've been heard and I feel like if you are an organization that really value values you or values a group of people they're gonna want to know you know like how can we make it better like I even think about my own you know nonprofit company like you know when things have been array in different seasons of our 18 years you know we go back to the people (laughs) you know like okay like okay let's hear what you have to say like you know, just listening and giving people that oxygen, but just not staying there to kind of pat them or rub them on the back because you don't want to stop there. There has to be something actionable. 
that is said. I think that it's unfair though to think that one conversation is going to solve world hunger. So I think it just has to be something that's consistent, you know, consistent. Because sometimes we think we go to these town hall meetings or we go to these big things and we do surveys and all of that and nothing changes um, or one thing seems like it changes. But I think, you know, we, if we desire it, you know, no matter what organization you're in and what you're looking for, uh, sustainable change is only going to happen with consistent communication and consistent action. And so, you know, we have to decide how tired are we? <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. How tired are we? Agreed. Are we, are we tired to the point where we just fall on our faces or are we going to find that Red Bull, get energized <laughs> and, and get right, behind right. the things that we can get behind? I kind of want to go into another question here. Do you feel that companies' current efforts in the DEI space will stall out? If so, why? I think the ones that have not made it a part of an intentional piece in their culture, it will. Like if they just did, you know, Black History Month or what have you know, you know, Women's History Month, all the things, like they had a month for everything. <laughs> or um, if they had, you know, a couple of, you know, book readings or whatever. If it's not owned by a group of people that are intentionally making sure this is a part of our culture, it's going to fizzle out. And so I know ERG groups are really big, you know, like that is a way to um, make sure that that culture continues to happen. And some people, you know, work within their departments and they have things that happen in terms of their professional development and things of that nature that they have on a regular, you know, what is it? Um, you know, uh, the lunch, you know, when people used to do it, cause I'm like, we used to do lunch and go or whatever, brown paper bag. Brown you know, paper so. bag. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. We used to do like when people were going to the office, that's why I was laughing. Like, what do we used to do? Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, these, you know, lunch hours, uh, chat and choose all the things. Right. Um, but it has to be a part of some kind of system that's intentional and owned by a group of people that either rotates or, um, you know, just always just making sure that there's even equity in the group that's doing it um, so that you can keep it sustainable. And so I think companies that do that, make it a part of their value system intentionally, they're not going to stall out. Anybody that is putting a bandaid over a bullet wound and just having conversations and not getting a team together, like maybe you don't even have the capacity to do it, that maybe you need to, you know, create a position that helps make sure these things happen. And we've seen that all over LinkedIn, right? <laughs> it's been, Ooh, I've never we? seen so many DEI roles <laughs> ever. Ooh, this <laughs> this, this is in the last, what, year or two? Right. I, I, I'm like, where did all this come from? Um, right. This right. is new, because if we can go back 10 years, we wasn't even talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. No. There wasn't even it wasn't even a conversation. It wasn't on anyone's minds. It was more or less like come to your job, do what you're supposed to do. If you don't like it, get out. Yes. You know, and you know what? And I think it changed because as the generations have changed, if you're going to have me at work, working hard, being all in here, I'm, I'm spending half of my life, more than half of my life mm -hmm. in an organization. I need to feel comfortable where I'm at. Amen. <laughs> like, and people, people are um prioritizing their mental health more than they ever have and so I think that because of all those things it would behoove companies to take note and uh, really identify you know what things are they truly willing to go all in for 
to make sure that not even just retaining people, but just attracting people and the people that are there feeling good about what's going on, you know? Um, yeah, I think that it's going to be really important for people just to notice the trends. And even now, like I, the, the work that I do is all remote. Now it was remote before COVID because we all kind of work in the field as coaches and consultants. So I was already a home office uh, before COVID. And so I think that there's something to be said about companies that have never really created culture in a virtual space. And some people don't know how to do that well. <laughs> um, oh, and so it's going to be another part of that is like, okay, we're, we're talking about ERG groups or we're talking about creating committees or creating special groups or what have you, but we're not even in the office. How do we make people feel you know, like feel all the feels when we're not in a physical space together. And I know people have gotten creative because of COVID, but I'm like, you know, it's not like it's going to end anytime soon for the most part. And so like, how are we going to sustain it despite not being in each other's faces and not zooming people to death? <laughs> Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we tired of Zoom. We, we would love to get back to a <laughs> face-to-face kind of environment mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. um but we do understand what we're dealing with in the pandemic and and really for those who have lost loved ones due to COVID yes. we sincerely sympathize with you yes. um, because it's an understanding it, that everyone should have an understanding for mm-hmm. not just those who are we got folks that are retired they're able to sit at home we got yeah. ones that are out here working we have our Oh my goodness, our first responders. Um, Kudos, y'all are the real MVPs out there for what y'all do on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, we're we're zoomed out, Webexed out, Microsoft Mm -hmm. Teams out. All the things. We tied. (laughs) We tied both. Right. A question I really want to get into and and really it, it touches on women. How would you address the underrepresentation of women? and people of color in senior level positions? Yeah, so I think that it would be a lot around first just noticing (laughs) the (laughs) under-representation. I think it's easy to notice uh, when you bring it up, but I think that sometimes people, you know, unconsciously is just an expectation that it's not there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, shifting our expectation and what we believe is a pure representation of having senior level positions that um, truly show an experience of different types of people so that our organization can be one that truly is global, right? And most organizations desire to be that. Um, And so one is to be able to kind of see it, you know, like some people say they're colorblind. I I don't know how many people are still saying that, but (laughs) some people say they're colorblind or they don't notice certain things. And so that's why I say the first thing is to notice, um, just to notice what is not there. And then also to notice, you know, what could we be missing out on as um, an organization by not having the voice of said person, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether that's a woman or person of color or whatever, other uh, group that we want to talk about here it doesn't matter it's like how can we benefit from that group being a part of that senior level positioning so I think just noticing what's not there um, and you know start digging into systems like well yeah maybe we systemically have kind of made it in such a way that we never really even look at those people in the hiring pool and if you think about it um, 
because there is a, you know, a smaller number than what traditionally, you know, white males would be in, in those senior level positions or in the C-suite and all of that, you know, my thought is that, you know, when you're thinking about recruiters and people, you know, doing the good work of HR and they're looking for people that are, um, you know, qualified, if you already have a small number, then it's like, you need recruiters that are actually looking harder, <laughs> looking harder because it's not that they don't exist, but like you said, it's a smaller pool that has even had the opportunity to be in those positions or to be able, yeah, to have some, some standing room there. Because, you know, when I think about like people trying to break through, you know, some of the, the glass ceilings and have you of a senior level positions, they may, some people haven't had a senior level position yet. But their resume is bomb. Exactly. <laughs> like, and so I think that there is something to be said about we are just, it's kind of, kind of like the rich keep making each other rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and the poor keeps, you know, stays poor. It's kind of like a cycle situation. It's like, we're going to keep people that have been having the experience in it because organizations are afraid to do what? The hard work and onboard on people. You know what I mean? Like that's the hard work. Like it's always easier for an organization to take somebody that has the same experience that they want versus like, oh, this person has awesome transferable skills. They probably have a fresh outlook on things. It's not like they can't do the work. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, we have to do what we're supposed to do as an organization, like onboard them, get them on speed, you know, like, and be okay with what happens when you bring new talent in with transferable right. skills? Like there is work and some people, I don't want to call it lazy, but I'm about to say lazy. <laughs> oh, like, I, I was just about to. Were you trying not to say the L word? I was, like, I, I, I was just about to say it. Oh. It's the lazy, it's the, and I mean, I, guilty as charged. Like when I think about times where um, I've looked for positions, you know, sometimes I've looked like, oh, do they have all the pieces? But then equally, I feel like a lot of times because I'm someone that is, a very much a developer. I like to find people that have those transferable skills because that was my story. Like I hadn't worked in corporate. I worked in nonprofit all my life. And even though I built a nonprofit, you know, um, I never felt like there were years where I felt like I wasn't capable or people would look at my resume. Like I'm not good enough for the work. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually, that's why I needed a coach. <laughs> but that was actually one of the things that kept me from it. It's like, I got a full grown MBA. I built a nonprofit uh, with the help, you know, of my co-founders and, you know, like done all this other work and, you know, felt like I wasn't sure if I would get hired. So, I mean, I think another thing, and this is kind of off of um, the organization piece, really encouraging people that are women, people of color, people from underrepresented uh, representative walks of life, that they would get a really good resume writer. <laughs> Amen. You know, like sometimes you just need someone, and I did have some help there to kind of rewrite your script, or if you're good at writing, like really, you know, get better at writing to where you want to go. And I know we say we've done it. And especially if you've been in your position for a while, and you don't know how to get back in the game, you know, sometimes we get, I mean, sometimes, so organizations can be lazy. And then sometimes we get lazy. <laughs> like, yeah, we I don't do. do that. You we know, do. so I think it takes some effort on our part, we're going to do the best we can. But it took me almost a year to find an organization prior to the pandemic. Um, it took me like a year to find an organization that was a fit for the things that I wanted to do that was in corporate. 
um, mm-hmm. that would, you know, take me on. And so I, I appreciated the opportunity, but like, I felt like, you know, I, I soared because I knew I had, the, I knew I could do the job. You know what I mean? Like, I'm mm-hmm. like, I know I can do this. Y'all need to know I can do this, <laughs> but I'm, I'm good. It's definitely my genius zone. And so I think that people are not always willing because maybe their resumes might be written there. But then the other part is, I think they might see it and get lazy with it. Mm-hmm. And they may not even be making the the effort to, you know, look at those roles because they're just looking for people that already have all the goods. And some of those people might not look like, you know, underrepresented, underrepresented populations because a lot of them are not in those positions right Amen. now. Yes. Amen. You actually answered one of my questions. I, I was going <laughs> to ask you, what did you think about HR and this statement? We just hire or promote the best person for the job. And you actually answered it by saying lazy, 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 lazy. There you go. Because literally you wrap that all up. You're using systems. Go ahead. What does that even mean, right? Like I hire, because let's get to definitions. I hire the best person with the job. So what's your definition? And um, I mean, if we get real, real, we all have bias, right? So what Mm -hmm. bias is on you when you're you have it it's not like nobody has it you know what I mean so I think even HR or, or recruiters being really you know maybe even trained about being really neutral and you know what I, I will say that some organizations really pressure people depending on you know like you got outside contractors recruiting you know people want to go where the money resides so they got to hurry up and get people <laughs> filled you know like there's there are some other things that play into this you know, people need to hurry up and have somebody in that position. So it's ASAP and they don't really care about finding someone that's a diverse candidate. It's like, I'm just, I'm just about to do it because they need this right now. Um, So Mm -hmm. some people have, um, you know, just different goals or different situations that are happening that that's what's causing them to not be as intentional about it. But again, I feel like, you know, not being intentional in this way you know, does the organization a great disservice. Um, And again, the talent pool is why, but are the people in the talent pool articulating their greatness in a way that people can see it? And then are people looking? I tell this story a lot and people are shocked when I say it. Um, 14 years ago, a little bit over 14 years ago, I applied for a job. When I applied for the job, same position, same title. I had two degrees on my resume. When I didn't get a call back, I was shocked. I was like, okay, what just happened here? Why am I not getting a call back? So I ended up applying for the same job. Three months later, I decided to take my degrees off my resume. And within a week, I got a call. Within that mm-hmm. week, I get the call. Once I get the call, go through the process, go through the little interview, and then they give me my offer. And they're telling me how much I'm going to make. And they're like, well, this is how much you're going to make because you didn't have any education. What? That's crazy, Jeremy. Okay, keep going. So <laughs> when I say I don't have any education, I say, whoa, 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 whoa. I applied for the same job such and such months ago. I had my degrees on my resume. Here are my two degrees. Here's my proof. Here are my transcripts to go along with the degrees. Oh, we need to renegotiate your pay. We'll get back with you in a day. For those that are listeners to this, it may not be a bad idea to trick that employer, to let them think you may not be as smart 
just so you can hit them with something at the end and which they got to go back and say, oh, wait a minute, we got to renegotiate something. We got to go and check, check this out. But why should you have to do that is the question. And mm. that is where the laziness in HR is. Mm. You push out resumes, you, you throw out certain people who are great candidates. Um, you use a computer system instead of using real human, keyword, human mm. resources, not computerized resources, because that's mm -hmm. what HR is now. It's, there's nothing hum humanity about it. There's nothing humane about it at all. Everyone is just centered on, upon, well, we're just going to let the computer do the job. And then we'll go ahead and scale out the people who don't matter. And we'll go ahead and pick from this pool. But mm -hmm. in that pool, sometimes people pull resumes. And right. that's where the bias comes in. Because you're choosing from your friends or, or this was my daughter's. Um, yeah, I, I, I want that person right there. But what you're missing is, is that the best candidate is not being interviewed or the best candidate is not being picked. Where do, what do we do? How do we bridge that gap? I mm -hmm. hope companies are starting to listen to some of this stuff because that is the issue. How can someone that has four degrees is sitting here waiting for opportunity while someone is on a level three, level four range? They don't even have that education and you're still asking yourself, hmm, man. How did they climb the ladder so fast? Mm -hmm. I wonder. Mm -hmm. There's no wondering. We've yeah. already figured out the game. And I, I kind of want to, I know I had another question that I want to ask, but I kind of want to end it with this. And then this is going to be something that I'm going to end up asking in a future podcast. What do you think about these words before we wrap up? Play the game. Ooh, look, was that the whole statement? <laughs> I, I just want to I, I just want to see what you think about that, because it, it's a statement that bothers me. As I've told someone, I don't want to play the game. I, I've been getting played for the longest. And the last time I played a game was in college. So yeah. I didn't know I had to play games as an adult in corporate America. But I want to know what your thoughts are. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that, because when you say a game, I was just thinking like, well, I'm not trying to <laughs> play no games. What I, I would actually say differently is that be strategic versus playing a game. I feel like a game, there is a, in, in my definition or in my thought about the word game, it kind of um, gives this impression that I'm playing around or I'm trying to do something that is trickster. Mm -hmm. But when I, um, you know, because I think about game, I think about fun, jovial, I have to do something to win, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like I would rather be strategic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and when I think about strategic, it's just like, what is going to be my strategy from a place that is resonating with my personal feeling of service and purpose? Mm -hmm. And that's just always how I have gone. Like, that's my beacon. Like, how do I want to serve? What do I feel purpose in this season of life to do? And I get really strategic about that thing and figure out all the possibilities around that thing. 
And that's what kind of guides me. And so when I, when I go that route, it feels more authentic to me than to play the game. And that's just my view of that definition in my mind. Like someone else might define it differently. And from that perspective, it may be a more healthier way. But right now, as you're saying it, like it feel, it doesn't feel good um, to feel like I got to go and, you know, play this game. Ha ha, I'm not doing this. But I feel like there has to be a way to be your authentic self. And I, I realize that can look a lot of different ways. We, we never show up 100% ourselves anywhere. No, we don't. <laughs> you know, uh, so I get that. But how close to the myself that I know is uh, true to form can show up in a way that still, you know, walks the path that aligns with me being in integrity and getting to the opportunity to serve at my highest level in this place that I feel purpose to be at. And so if I can walk in that kind of way, then I can actually express how I feel, whether it's my discontent or whether my pleasure about how things are going in my career track, whether it's me staying at a job or or leaving a job versus when I'm playing a game, it's almost, um, man, what is the word that I think? It's almost being someone that is, um, shoot, Jeremy, I'm like, help me, you know, (laughs) opportunistic. Yes. It makes me think opportunistic-ish. And I don't think it's anything wrong per se to see opportunities and jump on it. I will say that I would never want to be so far left opportunistic that I'll do anything, you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. to get stuff. And it's just like, I don't know. When I think about playing a game, I almost feel like, well, are you going to do anything to win? And so I was like, nah, I'm not. Like, if I don't, if I'm not feeling it, I have an abundance mindset. So if it's like, well, if it's not here somewhere else, I can create my world. And so with that perspective, I don't need to play any game except the one that, you know, puts me in the driver's seat of just being strategic for about the life I want to live. Like, I don't need to be, I'm not playing tennis. I'm not playing no game. You do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not doing that. No. Mm-mm. I'll end it with this. Those who are listening, African-Americans are told to play the game more than any other race. Mm-hmm. or ethnicity mm-hmm. we are the we are the ones who have to play the game in order to be able to move around and to those professionals um, I know some will disagree but I'm going to say this to you I'm not here to play a game with anyone I'm here to to represent myself in the best light and if I haven't done that to what I feel or maybe even what you feel as a professional so be it, then I need to go ahead and separate myself and continue to move forward. But when you say and make that statement, and there's a lot of people that I respect um, Mm -hmm. that have made that statement to me. And as I have had time to really think about it, and I have digested that statement, I will probably start to return fire and say these words to you. What game do you want me to play? Mm Because last I checked, I am about to turn 38 and uh, I'm a little bit too old for games. Mm. Um, Games are supposed to be, uh, that's child's play. I'm an adult. Mm. And as an adult, I'm a very, very open individual. I'm very opinionated. And being opinionated, playing the game is just not an option for us, Mm. especially when you're an eagle and, and you are one that is looking to fly. And I'm not looking to have my wings clipped. Mm. So I'm going to leave it at that. So I'm at the wrap-up phase, Desiree. This has been great. This (laughs) This has been awesome. This has been an awesome interview. 
Um, how can Untap play a role in fighting against discrimination in the workplace? Yeah, I really feel like Untap can really give space for uh, people that are unrepresented and give them the opportunity to be placed in places that may not normally have people that look like them. Um, and so I feel like that is one way, but also just giving other people the opportunity to um, use them and glean from them <laughs> to find people that um, would represent diversity in their organizations, uh, really keeping organizations from having to, um, you know, kind of like looking for whatever may seem like a needle in a haystack and untapped is like, I'm going to go right to the source so that I can get the talent that is diverse, that is quality that I need. And I'll just say diverse. I hate to say diverse and quality because why would we not be quality? <laughs> so um, just bringing in diverse candidates to help um, just make sure that people are seen and that they're represented in a way that um, helps other organizations and other um, people that may not have that same belief that diverse candidates can do great things. You know, it's so funny. And I, as I'm saying it, I'm like, do people still think like that? Absolutely. <laughs> and so I feel like, you know, Untap can really help change the paradigms of people that, you know, are still kind of stuck in this mode that, you know, successful people look this way. Amen. Mm -hmm. um, I love it. Desiree, I want to thank you for thank taking you. time out of your busy schedule to interview <laughs> with us and have this, this great conversation that we've had. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts, any things that you want to promote? Yeah, thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. Uh, this uh, conversation has definitely got my juices flowing <laughs> about things <laughs> that I want to say and do. Um, but yeah, like people can catch me at getyourlifetoday.com. Um, that is the name of my book. So you can catch that on Amazon. <laughs> um, and uh, if you go to my website, getyourlifetoday.com, I do have a workshop that's coming up on March 9th. Um, and it's really an intensive to help you know, visionaries, uh, people that are high achievers that might be like many of you that are looking to have some kind of transition in their life, whether they're looking to be an entrepreneur while they work in corporate or they're looking to, you know, make a change or a shift in their career. Otherwise, uh, really just wanting to help people get that space uh, because that's what was provided to me. So I love to be able to pour back into other people and provide that space um, so that they can get clarity about what they want to do next and just kind of get that support from other people that are in that same place through coaching and some, you know, training and different habits that I'll help people with. Um, and so that's all I have, you know, so hit my book up on Amazon, Get Your Life Today um, by Desiree Cocroft or GetYourLifeToday.com where you'll find out about um, my upcoming March 9th um, intensive. All right, everyone, please make sure that y'all hit up on LinkedIn. She yes. is awesome. Um, uh, that that is all I can say. She, she is a. If you're looking for a coach, I'm pointing y'all into the right direction right now. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> all right, to our listeners, we thank you for this this uh, great episode, and we hope to see you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we'd be honored if you would review us wherever you listen to our podcast. We are actively looking for people of color to send us their resumes and career aspirations. So please log on to untappedrecruiting.com to learn more.